What's going on, everyone? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of This Realm of Existence podcast. Our purpose is to encourage you to go after all of your goals and dreams and to live your best life in this realm of existence. My name is Sharon W., and I am your host. This is a show all about positivity, joy, magic, and inspiration, because let's face it, we all need those things from time to time. So for today's show, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with none other than Mrs. Carla Trotman, who is the president and CEO of Electrosoft Incorporated. Now, Electrosoft has an operating history spanning over 35 years and is one of the largest independent contract manufacturers for circuit boards and wire harnesses in the Philadelphia tri-state area. Now, Carla is also my sorority sister, and I have known this beautiful young woman for almost 20 years now. Wow, that's, I can't believe it's been that long. So Carla, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm great. I can't believe it's been 20 years, especially know, because but... we're only 30. I know, right? Yeah. We, so yeah, we met since when we were 10. Okay. Yes. That, that's, that's our story and we're sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> so Carla, you, um, again, just thank you for being here. I know you are one busy woman. You're running a company, you're a wife, a mother to two handsome young boys. And of course I cannot forget about your fur baby Snickers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, yes. Thank you so much for joining me. Now I wanted to have a conversation with you today, um, really about leadership in corporate America. Uh, specifically the lack of diversity that we often see at the top of many of these organizations, you know, even in 2022, you know, go figure. Mm -hmm. And additionally, I wanted to speak briefly with you um, later on, on how on Black women in particular, showing up as our our authentic selves in corporate America, because unfortunately, many of us feel that we can't always do that. But before we get into all of that, I understand that Electrosoft Incorporated was started by your parents back in the 1980s. So can you tell us a little more about that and really what your parents' vision was for starting the company? So they didn't have a vision. That's the funny thing. Um, My father has money degrees in logistics, mathematics, uh, electrical engineering, and a master's degree in computer science. And he was working at a company, an instrumentation company, designing DNA analyzing equipment and writing the software for it. And then they had a manufacturing arm in which he would oversee the manufacturing because there were so many fluctuations in the labor rates and they couldn't keep their costs under control. He suggested sending it out to a house that could um, give you a firm fixed price. And at that time, they were like, nah, we're good. And so they kept working and losing money. And when the company was acquired, they decided to shut down the instrumentation division because they didn't make any money. Oh, geez. So out of work um, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. They gave him um, a package. He was like riding his bike and fishing and just like, okay, I'll just get another job. Wound up. And my mother, she was a systems analyst for Procter & Gamble at the time. Oh, awesome. And she you know, was holding everything down and we had, they had savings. They were very fiscally conservative. They decided, oh, someone called my dad. That's what it was and said, Hey, you know, manufacturing, do you know anyone that can make these cables? He's like, they're simple enough. I'll get somebody that used to work for me. We'll make them on the kitchen table, made them. They oh, were wow. great. <laughs> they were like, these are great. We want more. So they made more. And I would come home from school and help cut wire or whatever for like 10 cents an hour. And then my mom's like, Uh, if you're going to make more of these, you need to go to the garage. So they went to the garage and really it was that, you know, we'll finish this project. And once it's done, 
I will find a job. And it can't, it just kept going and going. And at the end of the wow. year, they were like, okay, we need money. And so then they said, okay, let's, let's put some money behind this. If this really has traction. So they, they never set out to be entrepreneurs, but an opportunity arose from the situation of not having a job at the moment. And, you know, he's highly educated black man, easy, he would have easily found a job, but he decided to see if he could make it work on his own by hanging his own shingle. And my mom held everyone down with her job. Again, they were very fiscally conservative. They would bank one salary and live off of another. Nice. So they were able to have their own money because at the time, he, no bank would ever give him a loan to start the business. So I remember the other day I was signing checks and I said, why am I still signing this check for your American Express business card? You don't work here anymore. <laughs> he said, oh yeah, I forgot about that. When I couldn't get a loan for my business, I used that card, which wow. is also a lesson in the fact that um, even back then it was very, very difficult for people of color to start businesses and right. they went right against the grain of using credit cards, which is like a no-no in B-school. They say use right. other people's money. And when I right. talked to so many people of color, they had to use their own savings and credit cards to start their businesses. Wow. And that's a shame. Even to this day, I have heard of that people, even to this day, even though I'm sure it's gotten better, just to still hear those stories of, you know, the, that barrier of being able to receive funding. Because as I was talking to you before we um, came on, I attended InvestFest in Atlanta um, the first weekend of August. And one of the uh, speakers, I think his name is Craig Livingston. He is the, I think he, I forget, a managing partner, I believe, don't quote me on this, managing partner for a um, capital investment firm. And that's one of the things that he spoke on, how the barriers are still so high mm -hmm. of getting funding. And I think he spoke about in venture capital, there's $84 trillion of money being invested and only 1% of that 84 trillion has gone to minority business owners, specifically black and brown. That's absolutely and And women, correct. it's even less. Yeah. I thought that was, wow. So, but, but that's awesome. So your dad kind of became, I guess, the accidental entrepreneur and look where it's gotten, <laughs> look yeah. where it's gone. That's awesome. Yeah. So like I said, no vision, but it was, he took advantage of an opportunity. And I always think how many times do we have opportunities that we don't take advantage of, but also he had a rep reputation for what he was able to do and accomplish and a network, which is somebody reaching out to him. So I think sometimes those opportunities happen when you have um, some really good substantive things to offer other people. Right, right. So he was ready when the opportunity came. Right. When it presented himself, exactly. Because they're like, you know, when you're ready, you don't have to get ready. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's you stay awesome. ready. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, I, I understand, and you spoke on it um, a little, a few moments ago, that you've really been involved in the company um, in some way, shape, or fashion since you were a child, uh, before working your way up to, of course, now being president and CEO. Uh, following your father's retirement. So can you explain a little about what that process was like to climb that ladder of success? Because I'm sure you've heard this before where, you know, people think, oh, well, it's a family business started by her father. Of course, she was going to be CEO, but it's beyond that. I mean, you've worked hard and, you know, your background shows that your degrees and the work that you've put in. So just explain, like, what was that process like of starting as a child, you know, being involved in the company to now owning the company? Well, I never wanted to work for the company. I didn't want to have anything to do with it because oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not in electronics and engineering, but I was always around it. 
I witnessed the climb. I thought in my mind, manufacturing is dirty or, uh, and I want to work in a clean job and wear nice clothes. Um, but so I went to school for logistics, business logistics, and worked in supply chain management for major companies for a number of years. And I started, and like, you know, throughout that time period of going to college and, and you know, when I was in high school and even through college, worked with the family business. And so I had a lot of latitude to try out a lot of different things in the business. And that gave me a unique set of skills. Um, I was able to do everything in the company, like learn how to solder, learn about um, resistor values, learn how to uh, ran the wave soldering machine. And, um, (laughs) you know, and I was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, And that's why I went in a different direction. But as I was working in corporate and I had that job, nice, clean office and all that, um, I started an online business because I had a very difficult pregnancy and I used my logistics background to identify products that women were using around the world to help them. And oh, I had nice. two difficult pregnancies and postpartum. Um, and so because of that, uh, I became a go-to person because this was like before Facebook was huge. This was more like chat rooms and discussion boards right. of pregnant women, lament, women lamenting about how difficult pregnancy was. And so then I was kind of like the go-to person, like, oh, you should ask Carla what you should use because I had all of this experience. So while I was on maternity leave, I started an online business um, for women who were pregnant and uncomfortable and having a tough postpartum. And I did all the research while on maternity leave and launched it when I returned to work and used a lot of supplier. My suppliers were other mompreneurs that didn't have distribution channels. And I would take the orders and get paid and then I would pay them and they'd ship the products to the women. And I was still working full time and the business grew and I was using all online marketing, like, or never once in a while I'd be on TV or in a magazine or in a book. I did the Golden Globes gifting suite in um, LA. I did a lot of different things. Yeah, it was great. And I had a global clientele and celebrity clientele and all of that. And I realized that the way business was moving was changing because I, I talked to my dad, he would say the salesman wasn't really doing the numbers that he used to do. And that's because he would go into a vestibule and they said, okay, now you need to pick up the phone and call who you're here to see. And right. so at that point I realized, well, that's because marketing is shifting to inbound marketing. People want to stalk, stalk you from afar and your website is trash. And so what we need <laughs> to do, <laughs> they do, they, that's anything. Like if somebody says, oh, you should go to this restaurant. The first thing you do is you pull out your phone. You look it up, see what their website looks like, (laughs) see what people have said, look at their menu, you stalk them. Same thing in business. And so I had to teach them how to shift the, and of course they didn't believe me because, you know, my dad had been in business for a long period of time up until then. He was like, um, you know, you can, we can try it out. And it, and it actually um, worked. Um, we getting more people through inbound marketing than going door to door with our sales guy and following leads. And awesome. at that point I said, let's, I want to leave corporate because I want to be able to read to my kids' class and I'm going to be, have more flexibility. I don't want to travel anymore. And I would just run the marketing and do some logistics stuff as far as supply chain was concerned. So my ladder of success was really, I had to explore outside of the company and gain a particular set of skills that I could then bring to the company 
and that was a value to help it um, progress. Other friends of mine who work for their family businesses are a little bit stuck and they have to wait until their family bestows upon them the opportunity to lead. Whereas mm-hmm. I had the skill set that I could then implement and experience that was unique outside of the business that we were able to use to grow the business. Because, you know, come when you think about it, no one wants to partner with somebody else who has nothing to offer. Like if somebody comes true. up to you Very and true. says, hey, I'm not an attorney, but we should have a law practice together. And you're like, <laughs> what do I get out yeah, of this? Um... <laughs> right. And so for this, I was able to almost be a partner with my father and show him that there's other things you can do to grow this company. Um, and, you know, and so I took hold of those things and mastered them. And then I took on other things and made those things better. And my father, he's not like, you know, these other dads you hear about, like they just hand you the keys. He's, I think he's worse. Like he's harder on his family than he is on other (laughs) people that you really work for it. And when he said to me, I want to retire in three years and you can take over, that was actually an 11 year process because he was not willing to give up. He wanted to still be a part of it. This was his baby. He had grown from the kitchen table. And he and I just see things very differently and he wasn't willing to let it go. But instead of waiting for the presidency or the ownership to be bestowed upon me, I started acting as CEO as opposed to waiting for a CEO position to come to me. And so I would take over things from him and handle them and just get them handled so that it was easier for him to see me in that role, making his exit easier. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Okay. So rather than it just being given, you really just proved yourself to show him that you're ready. Yeah. And then I had to pay for it. So it wasn't free. Oh, well, yeah. Then it wasn't like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like, you know, here's a dollar. Give me the keys. That's right. not real. <laughs> like, just give me a dollar in consideration and then yeah. it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of money involved. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, no, that's an awesome story. So now there was an article that came out several years ago in um, Black Enterprise. I, I, I used to read Black Enterprise all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in that article, it asked the question, it said, what are the, I'm sorry, where are the leaders of courage and leadership in corporate America? And it went on to say that, you know, corporate America's track record today, you know, at that time of diversity and inclusion of African-Americans specifically in the C-suite, on the board of directors, um, and among its suppliers was particularly appalling. And, you know, unfortunately, even in 2022, a lot of that still rings true. So as a CEO yourself, you know, including being a double minority as a Black woman, what are your thoughts on this? And just on the current state of affairs, really, in the lack of diversity and inclusion um, at the very top of many of these organizations, because unfortunately, again, it just seems that nothing much has changed even in 2022? Well, and this is me just thinking, I think about these things often. Like, what did I miss in here? What what are we missing? And it it comes down to, in my opinion, that companies do what's comfortable and what they know. And so, yes, they want to increase shareholder value, but not for the sake of their overall comfort, in spite of what the data says, proving that diversity increases net profit and revenue. And most of the things that are used to keep that comfort level is like policies, procedures, um, uh, I think 
performance that they look at if you perform within this specific scope that they've outlined. And so what ends up happening is that they're hiring for what fits into their comfort mold as opposed to hiring for enhancement. We always say it's not a good fit, but should it always fit? Sometimes it should be an enhancement. I know that um, in some of the boards that I'm on, I am the only person of color. And, And I'm like probably a new person of color at that. And I do feel very welcomed and sometimes, and you know, that's the inclusion part of it, that my voice is heard. But um, I think that if I did not, if I had not put myself in various situations and various networks, I don't know that that opportunity would have come to me. Um, You know, I think for, I'll give you an example because I'm going in weird places. So (laughs) I have a CEO coach, okay? I pay her a nice amount of money on an annual basis to help me make sure that I am moving in the right direction. Awesome. Um, There's no other people of color. And I know a good number of people of color who own businesses. They're not willing to pay for the advice. But when um, PPP came up and we're in COVID, I had that core of um, CEOs that were getting information that was not being disseminated to Black CEOs. And because of that, like everyone in our group in uh, under that CEO coach got their money both times. I didn't miss one piece of information because we shared everything that we had. And of course I shared with my um, black CEOs that I knew, but I would not have had that information had I not been a part of that particular network. The power Um, of networking. (laughs) It is. It's the power of networking. And because there were no other people of color there. And I know in their businesses, a lot of them, there are no people of color in their, on their C-suite, on their management team, on their advisory board. And I can tell, and I know, cause I visited their companies that, um, you know, when it comes to seeking business advice, when they, I'm the only person of color that they hear it from. And so now we've built a level of trust. And so yeah. now if somebody says, I'm looking for someone of color, my name always comes up within that circle. And I think oftentimes, because we're not privy to a lot of circles, because we're, you know, as far as paying for advice, for example, um, or putting forth the effort to get the training, to get the development. Um, I was invited to a very, um, uh, it was like, a, it's a conference that everyone does not get an opportunity to go to. The ticket is very expensive, okay? I can only imagine. <laughs> now, I ha- everyone can't go, but there's a waiting list for this. And oh, it's wow. not a very diverse conference. So I have friends who we went one year um, through a program. And so this year we had to pay the expense. And it was still a little discounted, but it's still expensive. And they're questioning if they should go. And I'm like, you're questioning if you should be in a room full of like hundreds of CEOs of businesses who are very powerful, private equity, venture capital, people you can connect with for four days. That's really a question. Like, yes, I've honestly. no questions. <laughs> and so I think I'm not blaming this situation on us, but I can say that a lot of the opportunities opportunities that I've had is because I put myself in these expensive and uncomfortable situations. And, and, and sometimes we don't do it out of comfort. Sometimes we don't do it because we don't know. 
And sometimes right. we don't do it because, um, well, I don't know. I, I don't know what the barrier could be. Cost, um, we don't have the same amount of money to play with, that's for sure. But gotcha. I also think I put a majority of it on these companies for not even thinking to extend themselves to us. And the thing is, a lot of these companies have um, diversity and inclusion sec sectors, you know, within their business. Um, and it's, I often question, I'm like, are, is it that you're not aware? But then I don't think it's that they're not aware. You have these people in place to quote unquote, increase diversity, increase inclusion, but I'm not seeing it actually being done, you know, and just thinking back to even some of the uh, Black CEOs that we've had and may currently have, um, I remember Barry, um, Barry Rand, you know, God rest his soul, he in 1999 became the CEO of a Fortune 500 company when he took control of uh, the car rental company Avis, you know, but that's few and far between. And then, of course, um, most people know Ursula Burns, who, you know, was a summer intern at Xerox back in, I believe it was 1980 and ultimately became the first Black woman CEO of a Fortune 500 company in 2009, um, when she was again named CEO at Xerox. But with these companies in, I don't know if it's that they don't want to change or, or what if they want to remain at the status quo, but what do you think um, can be done really to ensure that more people of color, specifically Black women or just Black people in general, rise to that top position or even to the executive level because you, you did touch on you know sometimes it's us not taking advantage of certain opportunities but a lot of it also rests in these companies not giving people that opportunity to do so as well so what do you think can be done about that well the the other part of what i think in terms of you know who, who do we put the onus on right is really the question and then how do we get there it's like i never understood why we as people of color try to play in games where we were designed by by design we, we lose so mm -hmm. like if so for example when I was working in corporate um I just really felt like I was never really seen never heard I knew that if I were going to become a top leader in this company I was going to have to go and go places live places and do things I did not want to do that was the game that was designed that way I didn't want to follow that rule and so I believe that if you are somebody with a, who brings a specific set of skills to the table, why not bet on yourself? Why not um, change the game and have a company where you are hired back to your company as a consultant? There's so many people of color that are currently in corporate America and they put a lot on that person's back in order to win, whether right. they're great in finance, whether they're great in marketing, whatever it is, and, but they will not ever promote them to the C-suite. And so it, takes, it would take a lot, an act of God to get them there. But if that person were to leave, they still will try to just throw more money at them as opposed to giving them the position or the rank or the title. And that's problematic. At that point, I would think that, you know, why, why do we romanticize the C-suite? Uh, we're programmed to think of it as the pinnacle uh, mm. of, of, of your career. Um, and I know that when I went to college, that was the thing in business school, they're always talking about getting into a particular company. Like that is the thing you want to do, but they never push entrepreneurship and the value of self 
And right. when you think about it, even if you do get up there on the executive level, can you leave that job to your kids? And That's the answer true. is no. So I've been a fan <laughs> right. of the law for a long time of creating legacy through entrepreneurship. Um, I think that, again, to play a game that you're design by design, you lose um, versus starting your own business and betting on yourself where you can get annualized returns and then turn that company into a legacy for your family. I mean, look at this company that I'm in. When my dad created it and I was just working here, um, and I say my dad and my mom, um, and I was just working here, that company was helping feed their grandchildren. Okay. So now that I own it, this company, if my children have children, will feed their children because of the way that it's designed. We always talk about the wealth gap and we talk about how do we fix it. The way you fix it is through entrepreneurship and owning something and having a legacy that you can actually leave behind. Because statistically, Black entrepreneurs have five times more wealth than their counterparts because of having their own business, because of being able to take the proceeds of your business after, I mean, this is after your salary, right? You pay yourself, you still have net proceeds from your business that you can put in your bank account or you can invest or you can buy property and you can have multiple sources of income from because you've bet on yourself. And so while, you know, I don't, and I still put myself in these positions with my CEO group or sitting on boards and I'm in other places that um, give me opportunities that I would not have had, had I been trying to scrape to the top from a corporate perspective. Nice. That, no, I, I completely agree, especially the part about betting on yourself, because there was also an article um, a few years ago, and there's been, of course, many articles written since, I believe it was from McKinsey and Company. And um, they were saying how, you know, just women of color and black women in particular, they just really have more challenges in the corporate environment as far as climbing that ladder. And as we know today, uh, black women are the largest sector of business owners. Yep. Because, you know, it's, we've gotten to that point where it's like, okay, do I want to just continue to try to show you how valuable I am and why I am valued? Or am I just going to say, you know what, fine, since you don't see the value in me, I'm going to go over here and create my own and be a value to myself and create that generational wealth so that, you know, like you said, your kids, if they choose to have kids and their kids will be set. Yeah. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, recently, JP Morgan, um, the nation's largest bank, as we know, mm-hmm. uh, they announced a five-year pledge that expands. Uh, they have this um, Advancing Black Pathways initiative that they launched in, I believe it was 2019. Um, And this initiative, they want to book economic success and empowerment in the Black community. So, you know, when I first saw that, I'm like, okay, that's nice, great. And they said they're committing $30 million uh, in a push, really, to help students at historically Black colleges and universities, which, of course, HBCUs, to gain financial, um, I'm sorry, well, but yeah, financial and career success. Now, I look at this, again, as a good start, but my thoughts are, how do they ensure the success of these students really over the years as they climb in their careers and maybe want to then venture off and become an entrepreneur. So what are your thoughts on this JP Morgan initiative? And do you think that there's really more that not just they could do, but just that could be done in general? 
Uh, I find the JP Morgan initiative to be fine. Um, I mean, it, it kind of goes along with everyone else's initiative. Uh, but for them, I'm sure there are employees in their current ranks that could move to the C-suite today if given the same network support, mentorship, advocacy uh, as their counterparts. So why do you need to go outside of the company to ensure this pipeline, which you probably already have secured on the inside? And I think right. the problem is that these companies are saying or not saying is that we as Black people, we lack a critical ingredient that keeps us from excelling, which can only be taught by them. And you think about, like, statistically, Black women are the most educated demographic. Yes, so how absolutely. is it that <laughs> we need these programs? And it's not just for students. And maybe they are trying to um, secure a pipeline. And, you know, maybe there are people of color on the inside fighting for this. And I don't want to diminish that at all. What I really want to diminish, what I'm, I guess I don't want to diminish, but I really want to say and highlight is they need to look from within and see who they can promote from within. And if they are saying they want to secure the pipeline for a more diverse um, financial, for the industry to be more diverse, and they're going to put money in and invest in that then say that, but, you know, I don't know how they're going to close uh, racial and financial gaps uh, and guarantee career success if they don't have the inclusion part down once they get there. I don't know how they're going to measure it. I don't know if other banks are willing to, to have that same supportive nature once they get there. And I really don't know why they think they need to contribute to the educational process of them get before they get there because they're we are just far more educated than we're being given credit for. Yeah, exactly. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I mean, like I said, when I read this initially, I thought, you know, surface level, oh, that it's a good idea. But then when I thought about it, I'm like, well, how exactly are you going to measure this? How exactly are you going to, I guess, ensure, even though I guess maybe the word ensure is the wrong word because you can't really ensure anything, but just how are you going to help them really climb to that level? And again, are you doing that within your own company? I mean, this is a huge corporation. They have many, many people working for them. And I would be curious to know, like, how are you uh, pushing diversity and inclusion at the top levels within your own organization, you know, within their organization? So I, I am glad that you brought that up. And especially the part about Black women. I mean, we are the most highly educated sector in the country. Mm -hmm. And Speaking of Black women, let's shift over a little bit to um, Black women showing up as ourselves. Now, while we are highly educated, we're, you know, again, the most highly, the most educated sector in the country, a lot of times we still feel that in these companies, we can't show up as ourselves, our true authentic selves, and that if we do, as educated as we are, as intelligent as we are, we may be looked at as unprofessional or lacking something. And I'm specifically talking about how we show up, you know, physically. So I had a conversation with a friend of mine about Black women in particular having these expectations where we can't show up how we want as far as, you know, some, many of us, we wear braids or we wear our hair natural or a weave, a wig, you know, whatever we choose to do. And it reminded me of a story back in college when I, I studied communications and I attended a women in media event and a well-known anchor who I believe has since retired she explained to me how in the 1970s, when she had her Afro, she was told, 
if you want the anchor spot, straighten your hair. Mm-hmm. And so she did, but she said how she wishes that she would have had the courage, I guess, back then to say, no, this is who I am, you know, and just be her authentic self. So I wanted to ask you as a Black woman yourself, how do you show up every day authentically? And how do you allow other minority women that are within your business to show up authentically as themselves as well? Um. Well, I guess I've always just told people, well, I not even told them, I've always led the, by example of, I'm just going to do me and you do you. I, I have a very diverse, I mean, like, a, I mean, people of color tend to hire people of color. We tend to have right. the most diverse <laughs> workforces. Because so, you know what it's like to not be hired. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of for me to answer the question, like everyone can show up however they want, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I had this one guy come in and he had this like tattoo going up his neck and he's Southeast Asian. And I was like, did that hurt? I didn't, you know, it wasn't <laughs> like, you're not being professional. I was just like, ow, that looked like it took a long time. <laughs> and it's funny. like crawling up your neck into your hairline. And, <laughs> you know, I'm like, do you? And now when he would come in, he would show me it. his uh, new tattoos and all that. I've, I'm, I'm always for people being authentically who they are, because that means they're the most comfortable they're going to be. So, I, but I'm also blessed to be in a position where the quality of work trumps my hairstyle. So, right. and, but I am also corporate conditioned and I've had a difficult time in my mind going natural with my own hair, even though I have more latitude. Um, in the beginning of my, when I, you know, said, look, this is what we're going to do, mainly for my own health reason, right. uh, you know, because of all the chemicals in it. But um, in my journey, during the hair journey, you know, people did kind of look at me differently, but then I got to the point like where I am now that I know mm-hmm. that my confidence is part of my attire. And so when I usually have my hair cornrowed or braided, um, especially when it's humid. And at first glance, it was shocking, but then they shake it off because people then realize it's them that needs, they need to adjust because I act as if it's normal because it is my normal. And I think the world is coming around because there's so many people, specifically black women, that's who we're really right. talking about, who are brave enough to show up as themselves in a very public way. Like my one favorite woman is uh, Tashara Parker. She's a, she's on the news in Texas. And she, um, in, I think it was last year around this time in the fall last year, actually, she wore um, her natural hair in a bun, but it was like in a bun mohawk. And like everyone loved how she looked, but some people, there was backlash and saying that she was unprofessional, but it was like a viral moment. And she, yes. I mean, if you look up to Shara Parker. And she's ended up creating an organization called the Bun Ministry because these like Afro buns in this gorgeous, like it is the most gorgeous hairstyle. Um, And it was really, she created a movement for people can celebrate they all things nat- about their natural hair and she did it in such a public and professional way she's a gorgeous woman she always has her hair in some natural hairstyle and now she has this like um global audience just applauding her for who she is and i it, and i think it's also generational because my kids don't care about 
these things and (laughs) their friends don't care about these things like we do. And I know my mom, like when I told her I was growing out my hair, she goes, oh, well, what about the customers? What are they going to think? And I said, (laughs) I have no idea. But, you know, either that I'm going to be bald with all these daggone chemicals. So (laughs) that might be a little more jarring. Exactly. Like, what's going on? Right. Like, you know. Exactly. Because that's where I was headed. Yes, please. Look, no, I said that's where my hair was headed with all the chemicals. But um, please look her up. She's, to me, she's like a hero, even though she's younger than us. She is a hero in my mind. One of Listen, many. heroes come in all ages. Yes, they do. <laughs> the bun ministry. I love it. I love yes. it. I'm actually glad you brought that up. Um, back in, I believe it was episode number two, I did a podcast called Being Authentically You with one of my friends who's also in the legal profession with me. And we were talking about how, like, yeah, with me, I started, I think I stopped perming my hair about three years ago. And it wasn't really any philosophical reason. It was just really the same thing, just to have healthier hair, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and, and at first, you know, I, I love wearing braids. I actually have braids right now. And at first, um, when I decided to wear braids to work, I had a little anxiety about that. Yeah. Because I'd always had that professional, you know, nice, curly, you know, just hanging down, just straightened. Mm-hmm. And I was, I remember going to work that day thinking, um, wonder what they're going to think, you know, what, what's going to go. And we had that conversation and she was saying how same with her, even with lipstick color, like my favorite color is red. I love red lipstick, but, and, and Jenea, who was the name of the uh, young woman I was interviewing, same thing. She said she, one day she put on a red lip and she was like, Oh, you go girl. Yeah. <laughs> but then like a minute before she was going to walk out the door, she's like, you know what? This might be too much. Let me take it off. Right. Because we, <laughs> we're not put on something less, I guess, bright and bold. Right. Because we're not, we're conditioned. We're not in p- places of power where we can make those decisions of what's professional. We've been told exactly. what's professional and, and that's been put on us. So basically we've had to become professional. We had to become actresses and actors. Exactly. And, yep. and that's why it's exhausting for us to perform on a daily basis from, I mean, hair and makeup. You know, you go into hair and makeup every morning so that every you can morning. perform mm-hmm. and hold your true self back. And, and, that, and that's not how I would want my staff to, to be. And so that's not how I am. And, and so I, I that. understand that because I felt it all of the time. Every, and then everything was up for debate too. Back in the beginning of my career and I, maybe yours too, people ask you questions like, why is your hair this way? Or why? They just ask so many questions. Yeah, they, <laughs> they did. They, they did. The first day I wore my braids to, to the office, especially like in the legal profession, which, you know, and, and in many professions as well, but legal profession, it's let's, let's be honest. It's very conservative. It's, yeah. you know, Caucasian male driven and you go in a courtroom and unfortunately every, any black woman you see, or it may, maybe not so much now, but before it was just that subscription to what they want you to look like, because you don't want to be looked at as less professional, which honestly, to say that someone is less professional because of a hairstyle, like when did their experience mm. and their intelligence change? Right. <laughs> you know, but yeah, so, I, so I, I completely understand. So I am glad to hear that you having that background yourself and understanding that as being an issue that you allow your staff to just be themselves because I was even talking to a friend of mine about the Crown Act, you know, yes. which, you know, bans discrimination based on hair. The fact that in 2022, we need to have 
a regulation Mm -hmm. (laughs) to tell you that you cannot discriminate against someone because of their hair. Are we serious right now? Right. The way that it grows out (laughs) your natural head has to be like maintained in a way that is pleasing to other folks. There was a young woman, I forget her name. You may have heard of her. She's in Africa. I believe it was Cape Town, either Cape Town or Johannesburg. And she led a movement for her school. She has, um, I believe she has locks in her hair and the school wanted her to straighten her hair. And she led a movement saying, this is my natural hair. The way it was born, the way I was born, we've been, I've been growing my hair like this since I was a child. And she had a petition and everything. And this young lady, I really wish I could recall her name right now, but if you wanted to look her up, it's a young lady. Again, she Mm -hmm. was, I think she was 14 and she led this movement and her school ended up changing that policy. Yeah. Because then her friends joined in, they got people to sign. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, because having locks or braids is going to really keep you from learning. Yeah, got it. <laughs> right. Or but, it's distracting oh. or it's this yeah. or it's that. It or... distracts other people. You can't wear your hair like that. It, it's yeah. exhausting at times, but. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It, it really is. But, oh my goodness, Carla, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, Thank you so much for, again, just taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Like I said, you're running a company, a wife, you know, you're a a mother to two handsome young boys and your fur baby. I know you have so much going on. (laughs) So I just really, really appreciate it. And again, guys, be sure to uh, visit Carla's company website. Again, it's Electrosoft Incorporated. And her website is www.electrosoft.com inc.com and a link to her company website will be posted on my website under the podcast tab and um again carla this has been an amazing conversation so thank you for your transparency and um just joining me today because i I think that this will really help so many people especially women of color and you know just minorities in general to maybe start to show up as Mm -hmm. their authentic selves and just start to look at other avenues where it's like, okay, if my company is not allowing me to do this or not seeing the value that I bring and allowing me at their table, maybe I'll just start my own table. And like you said, bet on myself. Amen. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, just thank you so much um, for joining me. I appreciate it. Did you have any closing words? Well, I just hope that um, people can find their own way to fortify, repair, connect with self, to know who you are, know what you want in this life, and what you are willing to put up with, and be flexible in your journey and kind to yourself. You know what? You just preached to me, <laughs> especially when you said be flexible in your journey. That is me. So I, I appreciate that, that gem that you just dropped because I'm one of those people where it's like, I have my journey. I want to go yeah. this way, but then life shows you, well, you know what? You need to be flexible because it's not always how you want it to be. Yeah. You know, and that's so thank okay you for that. Exactly. I'm, I'm learning. I, I'm learning. Be kind <laughs> to yourself. Yeah. Sometimes I have to remind myself, listen, girl, you are enough. You are You're fine. <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. positive self-talk, my affirmations, but uh, yeah. So thank you for that. So, sure. all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of this realm of existence podcast. And until next time, remember you are a magical being and you really can achieve whatever you set out to achieve. So I need you to go live your best life in this realm of existence. And I wish you peace, love, joy, and prosperity. Bye, guys.